our worship team, two out of five here, not bad. <laughs> it would have been three, but it's probably my fault. Jaime, who plays bass, I was harassing him, putting a guilt trip on him about going to Ohio this weekend. And Bout had him convinced to stay in town. So what happens? Debbie's dad gets hit by a car and they have to emergency take off and go to Ohio. So my guilt trips are not always of the Lord. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> but we do want to pray for Debbie's dad. Um, I haven't had an update since yesterday. And he's, he's, uh, he's kind of broken up from the from being struck by a car. So let's pray for him real quick. Father God, we lift up Debbie's dad to you and ask you to be his healer. Be the one who mends his body, Lord. Strengthen him, cause him to recuperate and come back to good health quickly, Lord. And just uh, thank you that Debbie and Jaime can be with him there today. So we ask you to be his healer, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, all right. Got that off my conscience, didn't I? We're in Genesis chapter 26 this morning. Last week we looked at Esau in chapter 25. Esau, a profane man who looked upon the responsibilities of being the spiritual leader in his home as a burden, uh, and we read in Scripture that it says he despised his birthright. What a thing to have said of you, despising that responsibility we have as men to be a leader in our home, to be a leader in our local church, our fellowship of believers, we men are to rise up and take that responsibility. As a child, I was born here in the South, and being a child in the South, you're took to church quite often. In fact, church was a regular part of my life. I had one pair of dress pants, and every Sunday I put those on, along with a nice shirt, and we off to church we went. But as a child, I remember church attendance was not a bit optional. <laughs> we knew what we were going to do on Sundays. And attending church does not make you into a learned saint. But regular church attendance, if your children see that church attendance is important to you, it becomes important to them. So it's a good example we set just by attending regularly. Church attendance spikes throughout our country after events like 9-11-01 where the World Trade Towers were attacked. Church attendance greatly increased the following Sunday. And for a short period of time, attendance was up across the nation. But within a few weeks, it was back to the normal numbers. Now consider God's view of this for a moment. How can God bless a people 
whose memory and commitment to him is so short-lived. Do you remember what the cry was after 9-11? Everywhere you went, or at least maybe it was just me, everywhere you went you heard, God bless America. God bless America. There was no tone of repentance. Maybe America, we've been bad and sinned. It was no God forgive us for our sins. It was God bless us. An attitude similar to Esau who wanted the blessings but no responsibility. America, I'm afraid, is very guilty right now of wanting God's blessings but don't want to live up to his standards, his word. And there have been books, and I've, I read one book, and I, I wasn't in agreement with them, but they were coupling God's judgment as being natural disasters upon America when we would do something that uh, perhaps was wrong in politics or something like that. And they would relate God's judgment in hurricanes and things like this and I understood what they were trying to say but I can't say I agreed with it but our memory is awful short sometimes and our commitment is weak to say the least so we have to ask ourselves where am I as a Christian as a believer where am I at with God and my relationship with him, and is there any idolatry in my life? Now, idolatry is not setting up some little gold Buddha. It can be that. <laughs> but idolatry is simply allowing anything to become supreme over God in your life. Anything. Uh, it could be golfing. It could be uh, football. It could be a new car, a new house. It could be anything. Don't allow anything to take precedence over God in your life. There is nothing that God cherishes more than our relationship with Him. Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. Now that offends some because they don't understand that statement. God is a jealous God, and he will not allow us to have any gods before him. And that could, you know, you look at that on the surface, and you go, well, that's awful selfish. <laughs> Why would God say that he's jealous? Because God knows that he is the best thing for us in our lives. And so he says openly to each of us, I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous for your devotions. I'm jealous for your relationship with me. We can have priorities in our heart and in our life that are not always of the Lord. But I urge each and every one, let church attendance and I'm not talking about trying to raise our numbers here <laughs> they could be raised by the way <laughs> but let it be an issue in your life 
let your families, let your friends see that going to church, assembling together with God's people is a priority in your life. So the question becomes, where are our priorities? I can only answer for myself in that one, and you can only answer for you. Esau, that profane person, wanted nothing to do with being the spiritual leader in his family. He shunned that responsibility completely. He sold his birthright, that responsibility, for a bowl of red stew. And that brings us to chapter 26 of Genesis. Let's read the first five verses. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then God tells them why. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So we have up front here God telling Isaac why he will bless him. It's because of your father. Your father was a godly, good man. But famine has come to where Isaac is. Isaac is a herdsman. And famines or droughts have a way of getting our attention. It gets the attention of a state. It gets the attention of a nation. Famine causes people, causes life to become difficult. Food and water become scarce. Animals, a major portion of our food chain begins with animals and an animal will begin to struggle just to survive during famine or drought. And the first thought of any cattleman, any herdsman, is to go or flee to where things are not so severe, where there's a good water supply, where there's good pastures and so forth. And we had droughts last summer, especially in the Middle West. Not here, we were okay, but in the Midwest there were droughts. And many of the cattlemen, many of had to sell off their herds in the Midwest because they just didn't have food for them, didn't have grasslands for them, nor did they have water for them. I knew personally some guys that went up into Arkansas in that area and bought whole herds of cows, and they bought them at a good price. Beast prices decreased immediately because a lot of these animals went to slaughter. But now beef prices have increased because that surplus on the market has gone away. And we have God appearing to Isaac 
during a famine, during a drought with the message. And his message is, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell where I tell you. In verse 3, it's sojourn or reside here in Canaan and I, God, will be with you and bless you. Isaac, do not run away from what I am doing in your life. Sometimes when difficulties come, we can look for the nearest escape path. God is telling Isaac, don't go down into Egypt. Stay here where I tell you. God declares, I will take care of you, Isaac. Just like I swore to Abraham and just like I took care of Abraham. Isaac, as Abraham's son, has seen God provide for his father. He has seen God work in his father's life. He's seen God building faith in Abraham. But now it's Isaac's turn. And Isaac is a man that God will now work with to build his faith. Isaac has the promise of God that he will take care of him. And that's good. And I like that because you see, you can take care of my parents, Lord, but will you take care of me? I just recently was telling uh, someone that I can trust God for you. It's trusting God for me that I have difficulty with. <laughs> and that is so true. I can have all the faith in the world for you, but how about me? But God works in each one of us personally, stretching our faith, taking us to places that we would never go willingly. And Abraham, we look at him, he was not what we would call a perfectly obedient man. But God declared to Abraham, and he said, you are righteous by faith. And that's in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham was righteous because of his faith, not necessarily righteous because of his day-to-day -day lifestyle. Abraham in verse 5, has a right standing with God because of his faith. Faith had its work in Abraham's life, though he becomes a man of God. He begins to obey God. He begins to obey the statutes of God. He looks upon God's law as a good thing. God took Abraham and he took his faith and he made it alive and he made it active. And like I said, Abraham was not even close to being a perfect man. But God looked upon Abraham, saw him through the eyes of Jesus and said, you were righteous. Abraham's faith, his belief in Jesus is what God can look upon and declare this. That was about 3,800 years ago. Is it pertinent today? <laughs> I think so. We are declared righteous by the same faith in Jesus that Abraham had. Abraham looked forward to Jesus. 
and his redemptive work, believers today look back upon the cross, upon the work of the cross. And for me, I think it's much easier to look back than it would be to look forward. The one great truth in faith is we are righteous because that's how God sees us. Men of faith in his son. Genesis verses 6 through 23, chapter 26. We'll read that now. So Isaac, he dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called to Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife, so how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also, so he called the name of that Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called the name of that name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. When Isaac is questioned about his beautiful wife, he claims that Rebecca, his wife, is his sister. Does that sound familiar? Maybe he learned that from Abraham. <laughs> the same deception his father Abraham used, Isaac now uses. Abraham's claim that Sarah, his sister, was a half-truth, but a full lie. She was half-sister to him. But Isaac now claims Rebekah is his sister. 
there's not an element of truth in this whatsoever. But Isaac, he's witnessed, he has seen how lying and conniving prospered dad. Oh, how careful we have to be in what our children see. We are to never forget as parents, as Christians, that people are watching us. They're watching our behavior. They're watching many times to find fault, to find reasons to point their finger at us. But nevertheless, they are watching. Isaac, he's afraid. So he lies. And it's the same lie that his father Abraham had used. And for a short period of time, for a brief period of time, it appears that the lie works and everything's okay. But Abimelech looks through his window and he sees Isaac, and I love this old King James term, sporting. Abimelech sees Isaac sporting with Rebecca. <laughs> what was it? They play in volleyball. I don't know. <laughs> they were sporting. <laughs> I thought that was good. Abimelech, he immediately realizes Rebecca is Isaac's wife. And he says in verse 9, quite obviously here, Isaac, Rebecca is your wife. And then he asks him the question, so how could you say she is my sister? No matter what Isaac says now, it's a shameful reply. And he, lest I die on her account. Go ahead and die, you wimp. Well, I mean, what's the big deal? But anyway, that's me. <laughs> A beautiful wife seems to be a curse for Abraham and Isaac. Both of them lie about their wives to save their own skin. I've seen that in this fellowship. My mirror tells me I am blessed to have Lori as a wife. My mirror, I look at my mirror and I say, you are a lucky man. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take that and run with it. <laughs> and as with Abraham, Isaac has a sinful king rebuking him as a man of God for lying. We spoke a little earlier about co-workers or unbelieving friends, even unbelieving relatives for that matter, that will mock you as a Christian they will make fun of you, but they're watching you, watching to see if you live what you talk about. To some of you, this is news. I play a little golf. Once in a while, I will go out and play a little golf. And I play generally with a bunch of high school coaches. We pick up teams and then we play against each other. And some of these coaches are very competitive. <laughs> and some of these coaches are also professing Christians and that's, that's the good part. Now, as a group, we expect some foul talking, cursing guy 
an unbeliever, we expect him to fudge or break the rules or, as we would say, cheat. Okay? We kind of expect that out of a a non-believer. But when a professing Christian cheats, it becomes a topic of all of our conversation. Did you see what he did? You know, he kicked that ball three yards, man. He kicked it out of a hazard into an open spot. But as a Christian in this group, I try to be very careful not to take liberties that I see some of these other guys take. Why? I do not want to be labeled a cheater. Now there's one fellow in this group. And we accuse him of having holes in the bottom of his pockets. Because he can always seem to drop a ball into a good place where he can hit it out of a hazard or whatever. And this ball was supposedly lost. But ah, he found it. And this man has a reputation among our group as a cheater. You mention his name, everybody, oh yeah, he cheats. Yet he is one of the most vocal Christians in the whole group. He's always talking about his Sunday school class. He's always talking about how God's just doing great things in his business. Yet his reputation among his peers, he's a cheater. This man, he's in construction. And I would hesitate to ever use him on a job that I would want it done or anything else. Why? Because I know him. I have seen him. He is a cheater. And those kind of things we have to be on guard for. Abimelech, he sees Isaac sporting with Rebekah. And Abimelech rebukes Isaac. Non-believer rebuking a believer should never be. Abimelech, he becomes indignant, all self-righteous. And Isaac can't say a word because he's just been caught lying. But God in his providence, God in his mercy continues to bless Isaac. I've always thought about that a little bit. Wow, Lord. But then I look at my own life. My own life is far from perfect, yet God continues to bless me. Isaac, he sows crops and he reaps a hundredfold. He becomes very prosperous. Flocks and herds increase, so much so that the local Philistines are envious of him. They can see God's blessings upon Isaac's. And so the Philistines, they argue over the well that Isaac has opened up. He's opened up the wells that Abraham dug. And Isaac redigs, if you will, these same wells. But the Philistines come along and they come, oh, that's our well. And he does this two times. But the wells that Isaac is opening up and digging, they're not just for himself. They're for everybody. Isaac is blessing everyone around him by opening up these wells. 
And God will bless those around us if we're faithful and loyal to him. But Isaac finally digs a well, and he calls it Rehoboth, meaning the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful. Quite a long name, by the way. (laughs) To own land there in Cana at that time, and in that day, it was unusual for herdsmen like Abraham and Isaac. The only land that Abraham owned was the burial ground for Sarah. That's all only land he owned, and he was very rich. For whatever reason, they did not put their resources into land. They put it into their herds and their flocks. And now we read that Isaac is in that same area, going back where Abraham had been, his father, reopening these wells, and he now sojourns or takes care of his flocks in that same area. How different than today. Today, we judge our prosperity on things like houses and land and possessions. They didn't base their prosperity on land so much back then. Abraham and Isaac, their herdsmen, all they owned had to be ready to be packed up and moved within a day. They lived in tents, they followed the flocks, and so they had to be uh, ready to move at a moment's notice. But what do we learn from Abraham and Isaac? What can we today take out of their lives and apply to our lives? I think the Lord wants us to have a sojourning attitude. The settler mentality, I don't think, has a place in a Christian's life. As beautiful as Alabama and Tennessee are, they're not our permanent home. Two days ago, Friday, we had a memorial service here for Ruth Ann, Chris's mother. And we read a passage, and I'd like to read you that passage because it fits so well this morning. John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus speaking. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I personally do not believe our Lord wants us to get too comfortable here. We have our security in him, but earth is not our home. We have heaven as our home. A place prepared for us by Jesus. And I think Jesus wants us to think about that. We're just passing through this life. We're like Isaac. We're sojourners. Our hope should be for that place that Jesus himself is preparing for us. 
not just the place, but that's where he is also, that we may be with him. Touch lightly on the things of this world. Be, hold it at arm's length because it's temporary. And we're told the things that we see, they're temporary. The things unseen are forever. I think the Lord wants us to get a grip on that. Don't set your hearts and your dreams on the things of this world for it's only disappointment. It really is. Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven that no man can rob or steal. For our Lord went to prepare a place for us that where he is, we can be also. And it has great meaning for us today. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.